Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Hey, you know the most impressive thing about the Bucks record so far? They're 10-3. and three. One last night in Chicago, four wins in a row. One of the most impressive things to me is first 13 games, of those first 13 games, nine games have been played on the road. Um, you play 41 home games, 41 road games. They have had a disproportionate number of road games. It's tougher to win on the road than it is at home. And um, 10 and 3, and that's playing nine of the first 13 games on the road. The next one's going to be on the road as well. At some point in time, that all kind of evens out. Again, it's, it's an impressive thing about what looks like it's going to be an impressive season. Okay, let me start off the program with this because the tickets have just gone on sale, went on sale late last week, and uh, we do not want you to be shut out. Join us at our annual holiday radio show. This will be the fifth annual holiday radio show this year. It's coming up in just a couple weeks. It is Thursday, December 5th. New venue this year, because we listened to you know some of the input we got, this year it is at the Italian Community Center in Milwaukee's Third Ward. It's a wonderful venue. On top of that, free parking. So you don't have to hassle with trying to find a parking lot and paying $25 to park. It's free parking and easily accessible if you've ever been to the uh, Italian Community Center. We are ringing in the holiday season. Now, the last couple of years, we, we've performed plays. First two years, we did It's a Wonderful Life and uh, Christmas Carol. Last two years, they were individually newly created radio plays. This year, it's game shows and skits. And I can't tell you that much more about it because I honestly don't know that much more about it other than I do know I have one or two assignments. But, uh, you know, the bottom line is it's going to be entertaining. It always is. And we want you there. Get your tickets now. Tickets are not available at the door. The only way to see the show is to go to our website, WTMJ.com. The tickets are only $25. All ticket sales help support CAPCO and our WTMJ Radio Kids to Kids Toy Drive. So go to WTMJ.com. Do it now. Just kind of scroll down to the middle of the page. You'll see something that says 2019 Holiday Radio Show. You click on it, you're all set. But let me emphasize, again, tickets are not available at the door. And what has traditionally happened is the event sells out. I I can't tell you when it's going to sell out, but ticket demand has always been great. So we started a little bit later this year, I think, than in previous years. The show's coming up December 4th. Go to WTMJ.com. Again, scroll down. You'll see the thing that says 
2019 holiday radio show. Click on it. Order your tickets. You'll get them over the Internet, and you will be all set. It's the WTMJ Holiday Radio Show. It is presented by Capco Metal Stamping, Capri Senior Communities, the Bartolotta Restaurants, and VMKP Healthcare and Community Living in West Dallas. To that end, the start again of the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign this Friday. We are taking the program on the road. We're going to be at uh, the Heiser Car Dealership on Highway 33 in my old stomping grounds of West Bend. Looking forward to that. Um, we encourage you to stop off, make a donation, drop off a toy. We'll have all sorts of people there to pick it up, and I'll be there from noon until 3. Then we're going to have two more, again, remote locations as well. One, of course, at uh, VMP Manor Park, and another one um, at another location. I think we're going to be out in Delafield like we traditionally are. But the first Kids to Kids toy drive, uh, it's this Friday noon until 6. I will be there noon until 3. So you can help out. Looking forward to seeing a lot of people there. If you follow me on Twitter, all right, two new postings since we last spoke. First of all, I just couldn't resist. You know, I'm kind of like the guy, you have the new baby and, you know, you just kind of walk around and you say, here's the pictures of my kid. Well, I mean, I don't have children, um, but, but I do have a really cute Pomeranian puppy. She's actually not a puppy. She's four and a half years old. But um, we, we had a photographer in last week to take all sorts of pictures for, for something and ended up getting a number of those photos back. And so if you want to see what my little dog, Sasha, looks like, um, follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Um, she is cute as a button. Problem is she knows she's cute as a button and, and carries on accordingly. But if you want to see a picture of my diva dog, it is up there um, on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620. The second... The second is perhaps of a more serious note. I, there, I, I missed my calling in this world because there, you know, there are suckers born every minute, I guess. And there, there are people out there who can figure out ways to take advantage of, of those suckers and do so with, without hesitation. And when it turns out that those suckers happen to work for the government, and so the money they are spending isn't their own money. Well, I mean, I tell you, it's just Katie bar the door when it comes for the way that you can legally rip people off. All right, South Dakota, the state of South Dakota, decides that they want to launch a campaign intended to highlight the problem with methamphetamine. Okay, you know, methamphetamine, this is, you know, it goes back to the Breaking Bad days. Methamphetamine, a particularly dangerous and nasty sort of drug um, that, you know, has, I'd say it's making a comeback, but the truth is it's really never gone away in the last, you know, decades. Very, very destructive. All right, so what what they want to do is we want to, the state of South Dakota decides we want to get behind a big public education campaign. We want billboards. We want TV ads. We want to highlight the dangers of methamphetamine. All right, I am all in favor of that. So they bring in consultants to come up with the marketing proposal. How are we going to communicate this? What's it going to say on the billboards? What's it going to say on the TV ads? How are we going to do this? So you sit a bunch of people in a room. Now, these are professionals. These are professionals. They are paid, and I hope you're sitting down for this, 
thousand bucks. Actually, four hundred and forty-nine grand, four hundred and forty-nine thousand dollars to come up with the marketing campaign that starts with the slogan. So, what slogan does South Dakota get for four hundred and forty-nine thousand dollars? The slogan is, and I quote, "Meth, we're on it." Meth, we're on it. Meth, we're on it. $449,000. I say this in all, and if you don't believe me, again, follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to the story. I say this in all honesty. You could take me, my producer, Gru, and my brother, Scott. You could... Sit us down at Lakefront Brewery, and you could buy us each two beers. So what would that be? Uh, two beers, Lakefront Brewery, like 30 bucks or so, right? Okay, all, all in, all done, like 30 bucks. And I guarantee you that we could come up with 50, 50 slogans that were better than meth, we're on it. They paid $449,000 to these consultants to do that. And the most amazing thing to me about this story is that there's not somebody somewhere in the room that says, this is really, really dumb. <laughs> I mean, this this is really, really dumb. But But... But this is apparently it's a Minneapolis ad agency that they hired. So from the perspective of South Dakota, they didn't even keep the money in state. They went out to Minneapolis. They hired an advertising agency. My guess is these ad people, they were probably laughing their butts off. Hey, we got these rubes in South Dakota to pay us $450,000. And you know what we got? Wink, wink, nod, nod. Meth. We're on it. (laughs) It's just, it is mind boggling. I think now historically... If you think about like really, really bad, bad ad campaigns and bad name changes and things of the like, I mean, around here, I think locally, that there's no question that, that probably the worst was when Marquette University was looking to, you know, change the mascot and change the nickname because they couldn't be the Warriors anymore. And so what they ended up going with is they got a bunch of high-priced ad people together. They sat around a room, and they came up with the idea, let's call ourselves the Marquette Gold. Now, that, that was really dumb. But I got to tell you, I got to tell you, the marketing people that came up with Marquette Gold, they're looking like geniuses compared with meth. We're on it for $449,000. Where do they get these people? Not, I'm not talking about the advertising folks who, like I say, are probably having a good laugh that South Dakota spent all this money. I'm talking about these elected officials that nobody sat down and said, meth, we're on it. Huh? Well, I kind of get what you're trying to say, but maybe a little bit too clever by half. When we come back, the Madison school system has come up with an idea to stop people from flunking out. We'll discuss. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right. That sound you hear is my head getting ready to explode. The Madison School District, now this is the same school district, by the way, that has been firing employees 
for using the N-word, regardless of what the context of this is. You know, we, we've talked about it. Well, they, they, they recognize they have a problem. And one of the problems is they have kids who are flunking out of high school. All right. Now, there's a couple ways that you could approach the problem of kids that are flunking out in high school. One might be to figure out why it is that they are flunking out. Um, And if they're flunking out because they're not showing up, you get them to show up. If they're flunking out because they don't know the material, well, you work with them so that they can learn the material. All right. That would be one way to handle it. You're not doing the work. You can't do the math. You can't read. You can't write. I know. Let's let's try to teach you how to do the math. Let's teach you the, the stuff that you don't know. All right. That's one way to do it. I swear that is not how they are going to handle this. Here is what they are considering doing. All right. For freshmen at Madison West High School, they are announcing that from now on, you cannot get a zero on a test. You can't get a zero on a test. There is a grading floor, which means no student can get less than a 40 on a test. And see, what, what they say is that you know their, their grades are based on like a scale of zero to 100 points. 60 is typically an F. But let's say you get one out of 10. We'll take it the simplest thing. You get one question out of 10 right. That would be 10%. What they say is you can't get 10%. You have to get at least 40%. So even if you get nine out of 10 questions incorrect, they still treat it like you got four out of 10 correct. The idea being, hey, you know, ultimately your your final grade is going to be based on how well you do during the course of the year. And if you get a 25 or a 30 or a 10 or a zero because you got everything wrong, that puts you behind the eight ball. So you have to make it up. So what they say is we're going to pretend that everybody got at least 40 percent right, even though we know that that's not the case. It does not stop there, though. What they are saying next is. We are going to eliminate extra credit, and we are going to allow people who turn in work late. You will you will still get up to 90% credit for work late. So if there's an assignment you have, follow me on this, and it's due on, on Friday, and you blow it off and you don't turn it in, all right, you don't get a zero for that. You turn the work in a month later, two months later, you get up to 90% credit for that. So essentially, deadlines no longer matter. The idea being, do it when you want. We're not going to punish you for missing a deadline. Now, I understand you you can't get 100 points. You can only get 90%. So there's, there's just kind of a minor, minor setback. But the bottom line is... Turn it in when you want. There won't be many penalties. And nobody can do worse than a 40. You start out with four out of ten questions correct, even if you don't get four out of ten questions correct. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I tell you sincerely, this stuff, it makes my head explode. If you get a test and you get two out of 10 correct, that's 20%. 
That's what the math is. To say, okay, well, you can't do worse than 40%, to me, is ridiculous. It doesn't... It doesn't teach the kids anything, and candidly, what it ends up doing, at least in my opinion, is it, it sets this incredibly low bar. We're concerned the kids are flunking out, so our answer to this is we'll make it more difficult for them to do that by pretending that they know more than they do. And what do we say when we say we're essentially not going to have penalties for turning work in late? Well, try that when people get into the real world. Try that when the kids go get a job and the employer says, all right, you you have to be here. Your shift starts at 12 noon. And then, you know, you show up at 1 o'clock and the the kid says, well, what do you mean? I, why are you punishing? Why are you upset that I showed up at one o'clock? Don't you know that I'm a product of the Madison school system? And, you know, I, I can turn in work three weeks afterwards and there's only a minimal penalty. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Yes, I concede that this makes it more difficult for kids to flunk out. But is this the way we want to do it by pretending that they know more than they do? and giving them credit without deadlines, in some cases, for stuff that they don't earn. 414-799-1620. Gru is lining up the calls. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. Let's start with Tom and Mequon. Tom, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. This is a hot-button topic with me uh, and my family. Um, I've got this, and this is not just happening in Madison. It's just not a policy anywhere else. It's happening here in the North Shore too. Um, I've got a kid that's in school um, that she doesn't doesn't do her homework, fails her tests, but they give her multiple opportunities to take tests, and they'll give her help on the test if she needs it. And even with the grades that I see on the programs that they have for we, where we can monitor it. You can see she's not going to pass t- uh, pass the class, but they give her a D minus, and the results of this are already showing up in work where she's had three jobs at fast food restaurants over the past six months. Lost the first two, is currently working at a third one, where they're also like her second one. They're thinking about making her uh, an assistant manager, even though she's unreliable. Um, she's very rude to customers. And <laughs> this is your daughter you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, you know, it, it's interesting. It's, it's funny you mentioned the retaking the tests. One of my colleagues was saying, I was talking about this topic, and they said, yeah, the, the school district, you know, where, where my kids come from, they let the kids take the tests as many times as they want, and they, they get they get whatever their best grade is. So, you know, you get a 65 on one because whatever, ah, take it again a week from now, take it two weeks, take it three weeks from now, and whatever grade you get, you know, your highest. I, I, am I the only one that thinks that that's nuts? <laughs> No, not at all. And there's no accountability for the homework. You know, like I say, she doesn't turn it in. And because she's still getting D minuses, she goes, well, I'm on track to, to graduate. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, but the results of your graduation are not good. Right. Well, right. You're, yeah, you're right. You're going to you're going to fail. Exactly. You're not seeing. And this is this is how, Tom, you have kids 
that graduate from school or keep getting promoted in school who can't read, who can't write, who don't have basic educational skills, who can't do mathematics. It's because we're just going to move them along and we're going to pretend that, oh, oh gosh, you know, you're, you're learning stuff. Plus, we don't, to your point, we don't treat them accountability. I mean, what deadlines are deadlines, aren't they? I mean, you know, no consequences essentially for just deciding to blow off assignments here, you know, turn them all in at the end of the year. You know, we're going to give you 90 percent credit for it. That's just nuts. Yeah, well, hey, it keeps you in the top percentage for schools in the nation. Right. Well, thank right. You. Thanks. Yeah. Th- thanks for calling. Okay, but it doesn't do a very good job of keeping you, you know, of preparing you for this thing that we call like like real life, where your boss says, "Hey, you know, you you need to have this done. Your deadline is noon on Wednesday." Well, I'm not going to get around to doing it on noon on Wednesday. Tell you what, I, I'm thinking maybe in a couple weeks I'll end up doing it, and I, I'm going to get ninety percent. Right. I mean, try. Try that. 414-799-1620. Rick in Pewaukee. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, hi, Jeff. Hi, Rick. Uh, the, your first caller kind of stole my thunder, but let me add one thing to that. The biggest problem with being able to retake the test, turning in your homework late, is they're undermining what the parents are teaching the kids. Mm-hmm. Or trying to teach the kids, yep. So the parents say there's consequences for not turning in your homework you can't do that in real life and the teachers are saying hey it's okay we don't care yeah yeah now you you raise a really interesting point i can imagine this dynamic okay so you've got you've got a test coming up you know thursday here little johnny little Joni. i i want you to study for it oh mom it's not a big deal oh dad it's not a big deal if i fail it i'm just going to take it again in two or three weeks or you've got a homework assignment that's due on friday i you know i i want to i want to go hang out with my friends or i want to i want to play Fortnite on the internet well no you can't do that you're supposed to be studying oh come on i can turn it in any time you're, you're right it yeah. does undermine the parents and then the parents ground the child, and the teachers say it's okay. And how does the child feel? Because this is going on in Waukesha South. Okay. It's the administration that is enforcing the policy, not necessarily the teacher. Right. And, and I mean, I, there, I think there's a lot of reasons why the administration wants to do this, including, okay, you, you don't want to see dropout rates. You know, you want to see artificial graduation rates. So even if kids don't know the stuff, Let's just shuttle them along. So you get out of school, you can't read, you can't write, you can't do math. Well, what the heck? We still get to count you as somebody who graduated from our school. Exactly. And what they're doing is just undermining the education. Right. No, I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, I guess I, I just kind of go back to the, this basic thing. Now, you know, I, I, I admit that math, that's advanced math, certainly wasn't my strong point, but, but I understand at least the whole concept of if you take a 10 question test and you get one right that that's that's 10 percent but in madison it's 40 percent you know so just blow off the first four questions we'll pretend you didn't get them wrong really i mean it's it's just it's just nuts let's talk to mary in eagle mary you're on wtmj good afternoon hi jeff hi mary um i Coming from a perspective of a retired teacher from a district that had virtually the same protocols and the same policies, and this is very difficult on students who are working hard to achieve, and they see um, their peers 
getting by with doing next to nothing, getting all sorts of additional help, and their performance feel like they are not rewarded for their own performance. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I can. I mean, I, look, I, I, I can understand that. I mean, imagine. All right, you, you know, you're the teacher. You give out the the assignment. Okay, the report has to be in by the close of business Friday, four o'clock. That uh, end of school. That's the deal. So, you know, you're you have a kid who's got all sorts of activities, all sorts of other things he has to do that week. But he knows that that's the assignment, so he has to put that aside, do the assignment, and turn it in. And then you see half your classmates decide to just kind of blow it off because they know that eh, I'll turn it in a week from now. I'll turn it in for two weeks from now. Now, I'll get a slightly lower grade, but not a significantly lower grade. You're right. What does that say to the What does that say to the kids who are trying the best? Exactly. And for those students that are struggling and needing the additional assistance, so many concepts build on the ones prior. Right. So if you are working with a student who is struggling and struggling on earlier concepts, and in the meantime, the rest of the class is still moving forward. Right. They are always behind. They're never going to get there. Right. So not only is a good work ethic not rewarded, but kids who are struggling are still always going to be behind. Right. And it's a logistical nightmare to average grades for students who are turning things in on the deadline of the close of grades. Oh yeah, you know, I was just thinking about that from a teacher, right? From a teacher's perspective, right? You're you have okay, you have you know, you've got your exams to grade, you got to get the the scores in, and all of a sudden, some kid comes in and says, you know, I, I know the these five different reports I was supposed to do during the year. Well, here they all are. <laughs> they dump them on your desk, and I'm I'm willing to take a ninety instead of a hundred. Now, thanks for the call, Mary, I, and I appreciate the perspective. It's just. Again, this is the type of stuff that ends up making my head explode. To just a personal story, and I've told this before on the radio. To, to Mary's point, all right, my my second semester in college, all right, I I, I took it. I it was I was trying to get through college in three and a half years, so I was taking lots of classes. I, I had six six or se- six A's and a D. The D was a gift. It was an advanced calculus because I took I took. The regular calculus class, my first semester, and I passed it, I got a B. And then the deal was if you took advanced calculus and you got a B in that, you'd get like extra credits and stuff. So I, I, I did not have a great fundamental understanding of this, of this calculus class. But I worked really hard. I memorized things. And so I, I recognized problems. I saw this. And so I was able to, to get a legitimate B. My problem is I got greedy, and to her point, second semester, I, I, I knew the answers to the questions like first semester, but I really didn't understand the process, how you got there. But that was like the building block, and then second semester, I was just flat out lost. So I, the, the D might have even been a gift because I think the professor knew I was kind of working really hard and stuff like that, but, but she's exactly right. Look, I, I understand this keeps kids in school. But at, at what cost? I mean, it's the idea that we want to keep kids in school um, even if they're not doing the work and they're doing failing work, but let's let's pretend it's not as bad as it is. And like I say, apparently this isn't just Madison. It's, it's kind of all over the area. But I'd love to be able to take tests five or six or seven times and then get the best score. Huh. Unfortunately, the real world doesn't work that way. All right. When we come back, do you fault the employees? Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
blame them. Last week, we, we talked about the story that's out about ever since the, the residency rule was Milwaukee, Milwaukee was one of only a handful of communities in the state and really not that many communities across the country who had residency rules that required public employees to live within the city district. All right, that was struck down by the legislature. Striking that requirement down was upheld by the Supreme Court. And as a result, what you have is you have a number of employees who have over the last several years moved outside of the city. Um, there's 6,400 employees, apparently 6,400 employees total. 28% of them now live outside the city. And when you look at particularly police officers and firefighters, it's an even greater number. About 45% of the police officers live outside the city, um, about the same number of firefighters. So you, you have a migration, and this has the mayor all upset. Now, again, I think you can agree or disagree with the law. I don't think people should have to be prisoners of, of their job. I mean, I don't think it makes you unable to do your job. If you're a firefighter or a police officer or a public school teacher or you work at the library, I, I, I don't think it makes you any less able to do your job if you have to live in the city or not have to live in the city. But the idea is that, all right, you, you, we can't force them to do that anymore. A number of people, and we had when we were talking about this the other day, we had a very interesting caller who, who said that, he thought the city employees were, were hypocrites for, for moving out of, of the city once they were given the authority to do it. And I challenged him, Lord Hypocrite, but, but essentially the argument was if you're working in a city, you should be committed, all in, all done, you know, to, to live in that city and try to make it a, a better place. Um, I, I guess I, I sort of disagree with that. If you're working for some place, I think you have a duty and an obligation. You know, if, if this is your job, you have an obligation to do the best you can for your employer, you know, when you're on the job. You have to give it 100%. But the idea that, you know, you're, you're somehow betraying your employer if you're, I, I guess, not living in that area, I, I don't get it. I mean, let, let me be honest here. I work for WTMJ. I'm a huge fan of the product we put out. Occasionally, when I'm driving home, I, I'll, I'll listen to satellite radio. I'll listen to Radio Margaritaville or something like that. Is that betraying my employer because, hey, occasionally I listen to other radio stations? Well, I, I don't think so. If you work for a restaurant and you go out to eat at another restaurant, are you betraying your employer? I don't think so. But, but anyhow, I, I was looking at a couple of the headlines that we've seen just in the last couple of days. This is out of Milwaukee. 26-year-old man fatally shot Monday night at Southside Residence. Within 11 minutes Monday, this is another headline, one man was shot to death, two others wounded in three separate shootings. All right, you've got that. I could go on and on. I have a whole series of other, you know, headlines, you know, talking about, you know, this shooting, that shooting, etc. Here's what I want to discuss. 414-799-1620. Do you fault city employees for deciding that they want to live outside of the boundaries of the city. 414-799-1620. Should, regardless of whether or not they're allowed to do it, and they are now allowed to do it, do you think it's wrong for city employees 
to decide that, hey, we're going to move out because we don't want to deal with the crime. We don't want to deal with the school system. We don't want to deal with the high property taxes, whatever. 414-799-1620. Should we fault the employees for leaving? Josh on the south side. Josh, you're first. Hello. Oh, Jeff, you drive me crazy on this issue. You keep saying prisoner. How are they a prisoner? They're getting compensated and they're taking their salary out. It's like calling a professional athlete a slave because he's under contract and getting millions of dollars. They don't want the job, then give it to somebody else. And the incentive is to have the people live in the city. How is everyone moving out of the city making the crime problem better? <laughs> and, well, about, well, let me use my why, why is why why should we fault them? Why do you think they should have to live there? As a condition of their employment. I'm not faulting them, but it's a choice. If they want Well, you're faulting them for making that choice. Well, it's it's destructive to the city. You're it's like a chicken and the egg. You're saying that, oh, this crime rate they should do something about it. Yeah, doing something about it is in giving people incentive to live in the city, giving them a nice salary. If you let them leave, how is that gonna improve the city? Well, but let's talk about jobs. Why should it be a condition of your job that you have to live in a particular area? Do you think the police officer who lives in West Allis but works in Milwaukee does less of a good job than the one who lives, I don't know, on the northwest side? It's just the benefit of having that job. They get a good salary just to requiring someone to live there. You're saying it's like this horrible burden. No mm-hmm. one's making them take that job. Well, but they're doing. They are performing the the job, right? I mean, they're they're doing what they're they're doing what they're hired to do. If you if you if you give people the choice, let's say I I'm a teacher and I I want to you know take off after a year and just go live in Florida. Everyone wants to have these great choices, but that's part of the job and part of the. The, the condition of having that job is to, if you live in the area, you're making the community better and you're helping the city as a whole. So do you fault the employees for, for leaving? Do you think... You're giving them a choice that they shouldn't. They don't have... I mean, it's just... Well, okay, but that, I, I guess my question is, right right now the law says they can leave. Do you fault the employees for doing that? It goes farther than that. They shouldn't have changed a lot of... Oh, okay, well, thank, but, but, but they did. I guess that this is... I mean, they, they did... The laws and the law, I will tell you, at least in the near future, it's not going to change back. You're not going to have residency rules reinstated. I do think it's interesting, like I say, because in, you know, Milwaukee is only one of, was only one of a handful of communities in the state and not that many in the country that still had these residency rules. My argument has always been, okay, figure out what the underlying reason is that people are leaving and then, you know, deal with that. But do you, I mean, do you fault the employees for making that decision let's talk to chrissy in waukesha hi chrissy hi jeff um so my husband is a firefighter in madison okay and i we have lived in waukesha pretty much our whole lives i grew up in lake country and so if madison required him to live there i i don't know what we would have done um He's able to perform his job just as well as anybody else who lives in the city. It makes no difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just not, I don't want to live in, you know, that's. Right. Well, now I, some people would say, like our last caller would say, well, you're betraying the city of Madison by not living in the area where where he works. So, you know, somehow, you know, you're, you're, you, in addition to doing an honest day's work, you owe it to the employer also to be living in that area. And I guess I, I just don't buy it. I think that's too much to ask. I think it's silly.
silly because, you know, I'm his wife. We have kids. Why should I also have to live in the city? You know, just because that's what my husband's job is. You know, my life is here. Our life is here. Right. And it doesn't dictate, his job shouldn't dictate where we should have to live. What if he did any other profession? Right. You know, if he's able to go to the city and do a good job while he's right. there, then nothing else should matter. Got it. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. You know, we, we've kind of touched a nerve with this, and I, I want to continue the conversation. We have almost jammed phone lines, 414-799-1620. Okay, the law is what the law is. So, I mean, I I don't want to have this conversation and debate about should they have passed the, the rules eliminating residency or not. Okay, that ship, that ship has sailed. What I want to talk about now is the practical matter. You have a number of city of Milwaukee employees who are deciding that they're they're going to take advantage of the fact that there aren't residency rules. They're making the decision to move. All right. Should they be criticized? Are they at fault for doing this? Are they hypocrites? Are they betraying the city? Even if the rules don't require them to stay, should they have been deciding to stay? We're going to continue this conversation, um, so hold on during the news break. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, this I'm, I'm having, before we go back to the phones, I'm having one of my kind of cute moments. Mm-hmm. We have a photographer who came in for, for something, took a bunch of photos of Fran and I and Sasha get, last week. I got the photos back and stuff. Oh, I can't so, wait to see that. Well, so I put a current up on my Twitter account. Uh-huh. I, I sent out a picture of Sasha. And so um, now all these people are tweeting me pictures of their, of their dogs, dogs and stuff. I love it's, that. That's so it, my it, favorite. It's, it's actually, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's I'm like actually, on my phone right now trying to find your tweet here. Right, right. There there it is. No, but it's but it, now I'm getting all these, like, cute dog photos and stuff. It's kind of... Who cares sure. about you and Fran? You're right. looking at the well, dog, well, put right? The dog, no. Absolutely. You know, no, those photos come out yeah. sometimes. So we got the dog. Oh, that's okay, cute. Okay, we're, we're going back to what we were talking about. The the There was a story last week about how once residency rules were legally eliminated in the city of Milwaukee, you have uh, what, around you know, 25, 28% of city employees who've decided to leave. You have about 45% of cops and firefighters who've decided to to leave. That's the law. We're not relitigating residency. But I'm kind of intrigued by the concept that some people think that the employees are betraying their employer, that is the city, by making the choice to leave. Which, which I find to be kind of an interesting concept. I mean, again, if you work for Kohl's and you decide to go shop at TJ Maxx, are you betraying your employer if you end up doing that? If if you work for, I mean, again, a restaurant and you decide, hey, okay, I'm, I'm going to go to a competing, competing restaurant, are you betraying your employer? Now, we've got a number of interesting texts about this as well. Here's one. Jeff, I worked for a local municipality. We had a hard time finding qualified candidates. When the residency restrictions were lifted, we had more qualified candidates coming through the door from outside the area. In the end, it's about providing a quality service service for the residents. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jeff and Racine. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how are you doing? Real well, thank you. Thanks for holding on. What do you think? Well, I'm an alderman in the city of Racine, and we just went through uh, our insurance. We changed our insurance up, and we started an HSA account. And so 
we gave employ- people that live in the city $500 more mm-hmm. than the people that live outside the community. And I thought that was so wrong because you could have an employee that's worked here for a year and be so-so, and a 20-year employee that's busted their tails for 20 years, and I feel like it's a kick in the teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I know people that uh, live outside the community or some of them live with their uh, parents that sure. don't want to leave their homes or taking care of their parents. i got other people where the spouse works in another municipality and they live halfway between for sure. both people. And I don't think you get the best product having a residency rule. Well, right. Plus, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why why people leave. And and I mean, I think, for example, let's take an example of a young teacher. And we'll, we'll say MPS. You know, the, the idea that you know you, you love the work, you're a great teacher, but you get married, and the uh, your your husband has a family business in Cedarburg, for the sake of argument. Okay. Well, I mean, and maybe you're from Cedarburg originally. You want to go. That's home for you. You want to go there. You want to raise, you know, your kids there. Why should you have to? Does that mean you're not as good a teacher because you you decide that hey, I, I want to live in the community I grew up in? I, I just I, I don't think that the employees are bad people for making that decision. There's all sorts of reasons why people choose to live where they choose to live. Yeah, and I agree with that. I mean, we got you know, I I would like more people to live in the city, but I know. A lot of these employees, police officers, firefighters, and city workers, you know, that pick up our garbage that don't live in. And, you know, yeah. I don't fault them for where they want to live, but they are dedicated workers to the city of Racine, and I don't think we should go back to that. Right. Well, right, exactly. Thanks. I mean, I, I guess, and seeing that, that, that to me is, is the, the, the question is, what, what do you owe your employer? Do, do you owe, and I think you owe your employer loyalty, you owe your employer the responsibility of, you know, doing the best you can every day when you show up at, at work, but all this collateral stuff. Now, the argument I've always made is that, you know, maybe the more fundamental thing is if you have a large number of people, employees, that want out of the city, maybe maybe that should raise some questions about why is that you know why why do people want to leave because typically you want to live close to where it is that you work what is it that's driving the exodus of employees is it crime is it education is it you know the the property taxes or whatever if you fix those underlying problems then then you don't have people wanting to leave 414-799-1620 let's talk to Larry in Lomira hi Larry Hey, Jeff, how are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I actually am in law enforcement in Milwaukee County, and I wouldn't live in Milwaukee County. You know, for law enforcement, safety is everything, and I just don't want to live in the community that I work in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, grocery shop, and you see a guy arrested you last week. You could respond to one of your kid's uh, classmates' parents' house for some type of call. I just don't want to be in an environment. I'll give it 110% when I'm working in the city that I'm in right. and do the best that I can do. But Milwaukee County is failing overall, and that's why you're seeing the mass exodus as you are. And what are you getting for the property taxes that you're paying in Milwaukee County? Mm-hmm. So, and another thing is, too, um, you know, for Milwaukee Police Department, and requiring them guys to live in the city like they used to, you saw a lot of exit after two years. You had a lot of younger guys, got the job, they got put to the academy, decided they wanted to raise families and live outside the city and weren't allowed to, so they had to leave the police department to 
to work yeah. and move at a different place. Yeah, yeah, and, well, and same thing I think was true to probably maybe not to quite the extent, but for teachers, it was the same example. You have these young teachers that you'd recruit, you'd bring them into MPS, which had challenges, for example, that some of the suburban districts didn't have. You know, they're good teachers. They'd love to stay. They love the kids. But for whatever reason, you know, they, they again, maybe they get married. They want to, you know, start a family. You you want a little bit more space, et cetera, et cetera. They just wanted to live outside the city. And so they were faced with the choice of doing their job or, or quitting their job. And how does how does it make the city better if you've got qualified employees that you're forcing out? And here's the thing. I think that actually you're keeping a better quality of worker in the city of Milwaukee. Now you're keeping people working for the city of Milwaukee. They can live where they want. And I guarantee they're a better quality worker than shuffling people in and out of these positions every year, which costs us more money in the long run. Yeah, no, thanks. And that's, of course, that's the interesting point. And that's something which is very, very difficult to quantify. But, you know, you, you look at the the 30% or the, the 30% of overall city employees or the 45% of police officers, which I admit strikes me as a particularly high number. And I, I guess I, I'm a little bit surprised that it is that high. I confess, I didn't think it was going to be that high, but that just, I mean, my question is, okay, what what do those employees who are leaving know that, that other people don't know? And, you know, would they have stayed if they, they had to stay? I guess the bottom line of all this is, at, at the end of the day, you make decisions based on, on, on what's best for you. And that doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you're a bad employee. It doesn't mean that you're disloyal to your uh, employer. But, you know, if, if you work at Sendex, I mean, I, I, and you decide that, you know, hey, I, I want to run over to Metro Mart or I want to run over to Aldi's and do some shopping. That, that doesn't mean that you're disloyal to, to Sendex. It just means, okay, you're, you're making choices because maybe they carry some stuff at Aldi's that, that they, they don't carry at Sendex. I, I guess that's sort of how I look at this type of stuff. And I, I don't think you're bad employees. To me, the larger issue, and, and this is rather than grousing about residency, the issue should be, and it should be a top priority for the mayor, whether it's Tom Barrett or whoever else gets elected next April, and the Common Council and all the bureaucrats, it should be, all right, what what is going on here and why do the employees want to leave? Because we should be doing everything we can to convince people to want to stay. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Quick reminder, two weeks from Thursday, it's our WTMJ annual holiday radio show. This year, new location, it's going to be at the Italian Community Center in Milwaukee's Third Ward. Wonderful venue, big, well, it's a nice, it's going to be a good venue to put on the show, um, easily accessible, and did I mention free parking? Free, big parking lot, so if you come down to the show, you don't have to worry about finding a space that's close, and you don't have to worry about dropping 20 or 30 bucks to park. Um, free parking, annual holiday radio show again. It's two weeks from Thursday. This year, it's a little bit different in the past, and I, I, I can't give you all the details. I, I know something that I'm assigned to do, and I'm working on that now, but it's going to be game shows and skits. It's going to be a lot of fun. The tickets are 25 bucks a piece, a bargain at three times the price. Ticket sales help support Capco and WTMJ Radio's Kids to Kids Toy Drive. 
Um, the other thing that we emphasize is tickets are not available to door. The only way to get them is to go to WTMJ.com. You scroll down the middle of the page. You'll see the kids to kids Christmas thing. And like I say, in years past, this has sold out. I have no reason to believe that that won't be the case this year. So don't be shut out. Go there. Get your tickets, WTMJ.com. We hope to see everybody there um, two weeks from Thursday. That would be on December 5th. All right. It's the latest story involving the, the cancel culture. I, what, what is, of course, the cancel culture? The cancel culture is the idea that if you've, no matter how successful or how established or how famous you are, we're going to look back at your life, and if we find something in your life that we don't agree with or behavior that you engaged in that, you know, we, we find to be unacceptable, well, then, you know, we're just, you're going to become a pariah. That That's the whole example of the cancel culture. You know, you've seen it apply to, you know, celebrities, you've seen it apply to public figures, and you're starting to see it apply to historical figures as well. Paul Gauguin, maybe you've heard the name, very, very famous French artist. He lived from the early 1850s until like 1903. And look, I, I don't present myself as, a, as an art critic, although when we were in Amsterdam a few months ago, I, I went through the Van Gogh Museum, and it was actually, it was it was fascinating to, to do that. But, but Gauguin is one of, he's a French painter who, after he passed away, his paintings found a, a huge audience and very, very, you know, very, very sought after, etc. So Paul Gauguin was also by I think any standards, he was kind of a a sleaze. <laughs> he was kind of a sleaze. I mean, he um, he started affairs with young women, and I mean young women. He married a couple, you know, young girls, and then you know ended up divorcing them or whatever. He um, he went to Tahiti, and a number of his his paintings, some of his most famous paintings, were done there. And they depicted the, the quote unquote, you know, a number of the quote unquote natives. Now, now he, he's painting these things in 1870 and 1880. And he, he painted the, he painted a number of, of the quote unquote natives that were there. And there's reports that, you know, he used his, his sort of status as being, you know, this wealthy European or this European artist to, uh, again, perhaps exploit some of the models and, and things like that. Okay, again, this is 1870, 1880. So, story in the New York Times today. Is it time Gauguin got canceled? Museums are reassessing the legacy of an artist who had sex with teenage girls and called the Polynesian people he painted savages. Right, so, so what's going on now is you have this very, very famous artist whose works are displayed in museums all across the world, but there are some people saying, all right, well, no, we don't care how famous he is. We don't care how successful he is. We don't care how interesting this artwork is. We should boycott Gauguin. We should cancel him because as we look back, you know, he engaged in behavior that almost all of us would agree, you know, certainly 
probably reprehensible by 1870 standards, definitely reprehensible by 2019 standards. But the idea is we're, we're going to cancel this. The, the work he did and the interesting pieces of art and, and his role in art history, eh, we don't care about any of that because he, he had sex with young girls back in the 1860s and the 1870s. It, it's always this tension that's out there as we go back and we try to, uh, again, reassess and say, okay, we're, we're more woke now. We understand that this behavior would be appalling and that we're, we're going to be disgusted by it. I guess in the left would say we're going to be disgusted by it, unless you're Roman Polanski. But, you know, otherwise, you know, we're, we're going to be disgusted by this stuff. But now we're going to look at stuff that somebody did, again, 150 years ago that's been recognized as a masterpiece. And we're going to say, well, maybe this art really isn't that. I, honest, I, I wrestle with this stuff. But, I mean, Gauguin has been dead for, you know, um, he's been dead for, you know, um, over a hundred and over a hundred years. At some point in time, I think applying this kind of cancel culture to people who accomplish things, who did things way in our past, to me, I, I think you just kind of roll your eyes. You have to say, all right, look, this guy's, we're not setting him up as a role model. We shouldn't endorse this. But am I not going to go, should museums not display the man's work because, all right, you know, he engaged in this sort of lifestyle that I think most of us would be appalled by. But, I mean, who knows what the standards were in 1870. I, I, I don't know how it was viewed in 1870. But, you know, by t- 2019, clearly, you know, you denounce it. But he's been dead for, like I say, over 100 years. At what point in time do we say this cancel culture goes too far? And I would say for museums who are getting cold feet about displaying Gauguin, my guess is if you looked at the background of a lot of the artists of the time, if you start applying today's standards to them, you, you might not have enough pictures to fill one museum, much less 50. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. When I saw this story, I thought the numbers were wrong. I, I, I did. I thought there, there's got to be a, a typographical error here. There's got to be something wrong with this because it can't be. And I actually spent about 20 minutes today making some calls, and, and they said, no, no, this is this is what the numbers are. And I said, huh. Okay, Milwaukee Public Schools, which is the state's largest school system, um, they are looking at a referendum. They want to put the referendum on the ballot in April because they, they think there's going to be a lot of Democrats to turn out in April for the Democratic presidential primary. So they, they want this done by April. MPS wants a referendum to raise property taxes to put money into the school system. They haven't done this for a couple decades. Last time they tried to do it, they they got shot down overwhelmingly. So this is okay. They figure this is the time. Last time we had school spending referendums, um, I think last November, about 75% of them passed. So I I think the general thinking at MPS is now is the time. Now, Now here's the background. MPS doesn't suffer, in my opinion at least, from a lack of of money. Um, MPS, you know, um, at least a year ago, which is the last year I have the numbers for, um, received nearly $15,000 per student. 
And and that's all said and done. That's state aid, that's federal aid, that's property tax dollars, about 15000 per student. That is about $1,500 more per student than the average district in the state, right? So when you, you look at the amount of per-pupil spending, it's not that MPS doesn't have money. MPS has a bunch of money. But you can argue, and I think accurately, that MPS faces problems that, that maybe other school districts don't have. So, so they want to have a referendum, all right? One of the things that has never been mentioned, though, at least until the other day, was how big of a referendum are they looking at? How much money do they want from the taxpayers? And they're trying to figure out kind of like, you know, the the Goldilocks amount to ask. You know, you don't want it to be too hot. You don't want it to be too cold. You want it to be just right. You don't want it to be too little because you don't want to leave money on the table. You don't want to be too much much because people will be appalled. You want to be at that sweet spot that the voters say, okay. So here is the deal. MPS has a current budget of about $1.2 billion a year. And they employ around 10,000 people. All right, so there's, there's this refer, there's a task force referendum from MPS. It's, you know, people from the community, et cetera. And they're charged with trying to come up with that Goldilocks number. What is the number that we can ask for that we think they can get? So apparently, you know, wh- what happened is they, they heard from MPS officials and some of their financial advisors. Because they're trying to decide what is what is that number. Now, I, I hope you're sitting down. All right, now, keep in mind, right now they've got a budget of 1.2, B as in billion dollars, a year. All right, the officials who were going in front of the, this group laid out, according to the Journal Sentinel, two potential scenarios. First of all, the gold standard scenario. Okay, under the gold standard scenario, they would ask for an extra $640 million. Now, this is on a budget of like $1.2 billion. So, you, you know, you, you do the math and you see that they're asking for like, well, a, a lot of money. For an extra $640 million a year, they would increase staffing by almost 2,000. So they'd go from 10,000 to 12,000, all right? $640 million a year. They also said, well, okay, if you don't want to go with that, if you don't want the gold standard, we have a plan B. Plan B is $319 million a year. And this, we would hire 966 employees to our 10,000 that we already have. All right, now here's, Here's the dazzling detail. The, what what would it do to people's property taxes in Milwaukee? All right, here is the deal. If you went to the gold standard, the $640 million a year, what, what would happen is a home assessed at $300,000 whose property tax bill is now $2,874, it would go to $6,723, an almost $4,000 a year increase. If you went with the cheap plan, the $319 million, 
the property tax would go on a $300,000 house, would go from $2,874 to $4,716, a $2,000 increase. These would be, their property tax bills would go up 64% or 134%. 64% to 134%. The story in the paper today describes the members of this committee as shocked at these numbers. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I, I haven't talked about this referendum because I've been kind of waiting to see, you know, what are the dollar amounts that are out there. If they are seriously looking at dollar amounts in this range, $320 million on the low end, $620 million on the high end, to a budget that's already $1.2 million, and they are looking at increasing people's property tax bills on a $300,000 home, so some people will pay less, some people will pay more, but 2000 to a $4,000 tax increase? I, I mean, I'm curious as to your reaction. My reaction is somebody's got to be smoking something. I, I mean, has legal marijuana already come to the, the state? I, I understand other referendums have passed, but if it's, I, I mean, I just don't see any way in God's green earth that the already strapped taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee who have all sorts of other demands, the roads, the crime problem, etc., are going to sign off on increasing their tax bills 64 to 132%. Am I missing something? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, it's interesting, and some of the people from MPS who are pushing this are saying, well, you know, the, the kids, you know, the, the kids are worth it. Well, okay, okay. all right. Is this is this even reasonable to be starting to talk about a referendum that would jack up property taxes this much? 414-799-1620. Gru is lining up the calls we discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. And by the way, these numbers I'm talking about, that this is just operating costs. I mean, they want thousands and thousands of dollars more per homeowner just for operating costs. And by that, I mean it doesn't include facilities. It doesn't include, you know, building a new school or retrofitting classrooms or things like that. This is just operating costs. I mean, seriously, are, are people nuts? Larry in West Bend. Larry, you're on WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff, or Hi. afternoon. Hi, Larry. Uh, I, was calling, I wanted to call right away. I own uh, a number of properties in the city of Milwaukee, and these homes are probably in the price range of 100 to $120,000. My tax bill on those homes currently is in the neighborhood of $2,800. So this isn't a $300,000 home that has a $2,800 property tax bill in the city of Milwaukee. These are working class homes that oh, yeah. have, uh, have a $2,800 current bill. Right. So if your current bill is $2,800, you know, there's going to be huge increases for people of working class homes. Yeah. You know, and whether that's something that you own yourself or as a landlord where you have to pass that along to the the people that are living there. I mean, that's just devastated to everybody involved. Right. Well, and, and imagine what this is going to do overall to property values, Larry, if something like this would go through, because... 
taxes are a thing that people look at, first of all, when choosing where to live, and secondly, when trying to figure out how you can afford to live in a particular place. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, thank, I mean, I, I just, it is interesting because apparently the members of this commission, and I, I have been curious because in this, all this discussion, like I said, we haven't had dollar amounts and that, that, that's the, the key. And then they come out with these numbers is $640 million on a budget of, the budget's 1.2 billion. So this is half again the budget. I mean, seriously. And the idea is, well, you know, we, we need to spend more money. And it's interesting. The lobbyist for MPS is quoted in the paper as saying, uh, um, the numbers are morally defensible. Well, I, I guess it depends on your perspective. They're certainly not morally defensible if you're expecting that the taxpayers to shell this out. And I guess the, the other question is, like I say, right now, MPS, first pupil spending, about $15,000 per kid per year. One of the things, this idea that you throw money at something and that means stuff is going to get better. Well, I, I think in the area of education, above a certain point, that that just doesn't work out that well. But, I mean, will will the taxpayers, the city of Milwaukee, really go for something like this? I, I can't I can't imagine it. But what do I know, I guess? Alex in Mequon. Alex, you're on WTMJ. Yes. When I uh, was listening to your conversation, I live in Mequon, but. I kind of went online to Google how many students are currently within MPS, and the right. data they showed was about 75,000 students, right. according to the data. Right. And you have 10,000 employees. That's a ratio of 7.5 pupils per em- employee. And we, you and I both know that the, probably the class sizes are 25 to 30. Right. So you have so much waste within the system. Yep. If you look at the numbers of buildings that are not being used that they're unwilling to sell, this is just preposterous. Right. I hope Mayor Barrett can actually step up and stop this because if you want people to continue move to Milwaukee, you know, you can't do this. This is this is pretty well, devastating. Well, right, and Alex, and keep in mind, this is only the school portion of this. And then you've got, you know, all the other issues. You know, the, the, mayor, the last budget gets rid of 60 police positions, and they're talking about, you know, they've got all the pension obligations and things. I mean, you know, where where is this where is this going to go? And, of course, you've got the county. Um, with the blessing of the mayor, they're pushing for, you know, that, that extra 1% sales tax that they can use on all sorts of different things. I mean, at some point in time, you know, tax policy does affect where people live. And I, I tell you, I, I feel bad for the folks that are, are stuck, the people that are, you know, the retirees, the people that are living on fixed incomes, who all of a sudden you get a tax bill, your, your property tax has gone up 1000 or $2,000 or whatever. You know, where are you going to get that money from? The other thing I'd like to add, too, if you look at the product that they're turning out, (laughs) what percentage of these students graduating are even learning how to read and write, you know, and even communicate? I mean, maybe 10% of them are proficient, really, when you peel it all away, so... Well, right, we, right, guarantee, yeah, no, thank, okay, so let, let's say you, you go with the gold standard and you increase spending from 1.2 billion to 1.8 billion. All right, you, you know, you, you increase that. You go with the gold standard. All right, the question would be, you know, what, what are the results we're going to see? Show me what the causation is going to be. Show me where that's going to come from. And look, the, the bottom line is everybody wants to assure a quality education. And I fully appreciate that there are challenges that MPS has. 
You've got, you know, all the issues with, you know, the, the broken families and things like that. And, you know, the, the, the kids that have all the issues and you've got a number of kids who are raised in poverty and all those different contributing factors. So I understand it's difficult, but at some point in time, and I mean, I wonder, I wonder whether this was just, hey, let's throw out these ridiculous numbers. Let, let's say 300 million. Let's say 600 million. Let's throw out these crazy numbers so that when we come back and we say, all right, we, we really want this to be, you know, a hundred million. That, that everybody has this sticker shock from these numbers. And maybe that's just this tactical strategy. I don't get that sense. I, I get the sense that these people who proposed it were actually serious about doing it. It's kind of like the county a couple years ago when Chris Abley was trying to get that wheel tax through. Well, he comes up, he asks for 60 bucks. I want $60 per car to register your vehicle in Milwaukee County. And the county supervisors balk, but but they, they put in a $30 wheel tax. And then they get to say, oh, we were responsible. You know, we wanted wanted 60 so we're only you know hitting you 30 dollars per car maybe that's what's going on here maybe the ultimate plan like i say is they're going to come back with something that's more reasonable but seriously i mean if, if you're talking about something that's going to cost an average homeowner just for the proper the the school tax portion of their property tax bill a thousand two thousand four thousand dollars extra per year to me, you look that up in the dictionary and you say, okay, this is the definition of non-starter. We'll see where all this goes. And, and they have to kind of get this decided because, like I say, this is all very political. They figure that the best chance they have of getting this through is to put it in early April, the day of the mayoral elections and the Democrat primary because they'll get a bigger turnout. Well, if you're asking for dollars like this, I think maybe you'd be better off on kind of a low turnout day. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, now I'm really on the hook. This is I, I'm, I'm out there because one of my things is I think people should get the flu shot. Mm-hmm. And, and I understand there's people who, for a variety of reasons, don't. I, I'm a big proponent of getting the flu shot. I just think it makes uh, for a whole lot of reasons. Now, my lovely and charming wife, she didn't get. She does historically has not gotten the flu shot. Uh huh. So what are you going to do? Well, no, no, no. So, you know, she said I listened to you talking about it. You know, and you're 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 right. I think I, I should do that. So she went over today and got the flu shot. So at my urging, she's now gotten this. So now I'm kind of on the hook because. If she gets the flu, you know oh, I am no. never, ever never going to hear, hear the it. end of this. No, no, no. It's, it's yeah. so, I mean, I, I was doing it kind of for the health thing because, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I believe in the flu shot and all that type of stuff. So, you know, in this particular case, she actually listened to me, followed my advice. Well, you know what they say. They say if you get the flu shot, it doesn't absolutely eliminate your chances of getting the flu. It just reduces your chances right. of getting the flu. So so or, if she does get it, it... Right. Or if you get the flu, it, it won't it minimi- be right. bad. It minimizes things so i mean i just i i just i just routinely i i typically get my year yearly physicals like in september or october and the doctor says 
here, you're going to get the flu shot, right? Yeah. And I say, yeah. sure, you know, and, and do it. So, I mean, I, I just typically do that. So I'm a big believer in this. But but now I, I have, not only have I gotten it, but I put my money where my mouth is because I guarantee if that, if, if Fran gets sick, oh, yeah. I will never hear the end of that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, I was just perfectly fine for years and years oh, and years. And, and then, then she this got it. bozo tells me to get the flu shot. But I'm... I am. It's, it's sort of like wearing seatbelts. I always, whenever we talk about that, I always. There's always somebody that say, "Well, I know you think people should wear seatbelts, but I know somebody who knows somebody who had a cousin who had a girlfriend who was knew somebody who was involved in a car crash, and they would have been dead if they'd been wearing their seatbelt." Mm-hmm. To which I say, "Okay, that's that's the one out it's of a, a thousand, case, right? Yeah. It's the one out of a thousand. I want to be with the nine hundred and ninety-nine. Hey, one final note on on what we were talking about in the the last segment. That this massive property tax increase that MPS is looking at and I was giving you the numbers of 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 this and you know the uh, the taxes would go from you know on a three hundred thousand dollar home would go from you know twenty eight hundred to forty six or to sixty four hundred uh, that's just the school portion of the taxes. People are saying, well, you know, that our, our tax is already higher. No, that's just the, the school, the portion of your property tax that goes to the schools. So that would go up $2,000, $3,000, $4,000. That is on top of the other amount of property tax you pay. In other words, would the last person to leave the city of Milwaukee please be sure to turn off the lights assuming that somebody hasn't stolen all the light bulbs. All right. The latest example, the impeachment hearings are are going on. Some people are riveted to them. Other people aren't. There is an interesting poll out that's highlighted by USA Today. This is an NPR, PBS NewsHour, Marist poll. was released today. And here, here is the takeaway on this. Most Americans don't think they'll change their minds on impeachment. Um, Here's the deal. Apparently, around 49% or so approve the impeachment inquiry. Now, this isn't the removal from office. Keep in mind, there's two steps. There's impeachment, and then there's the trial in the Senate. Impeachment is, is the first step. So they ask the question, do you support the impeachment process? 49% or so say they approve the impeachment process. And my guess is the vast majority of those people who approve the impeachment process would also approve approve the removal, but not all. 49% approve the inquiry. 43% disapprove. This is pretty much the same when they ask the question in October that said 52% approved of the inquiry, 30% disapproved. So the disapproval number is the same. The pro-impeachment numbers has dropped slightly. Um, and again, it, it's, it's right about at that range. Here's the other thing that's there. Most people say that um, they're, they're set in their views, that this, this isn't going to change that essentially, you know, this, this is the way they feel, and it doesn't matter what happens at the hearings, that it's just kind of all baked in the cake now, that they're not going to change their minds. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's kind of where I think the American public is. If you don't like President Trump, if you're convinced that he's venal and corrupt, etc., you want him out. 
And it, it doesn't matter what a Ukrainian ambassador testifies to or not. The facts are pretty much what the, the facts are. And nothing you're going to hear is going to convince you that, oh, maybe we shouldn't impeach him. On the other hand, if you are a Trump supporter who views this as just the latest attempt to try to undermine the legitimacy of the presidency and that, yes, President Trump is unconventional and, and yeah, Trump does things in different sort of ways, but we all knew that. Um, you, you know, you're not going to hear, I don't think, there's going to be anything that you're going to hear from any of these witnesses that's going to suddenly, you know, click on this light bulb to say, oh, you know what? I, I think he's got to go. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't want to talk about should he be re- impeached, should he be removed from office, should he not be. I want to talk about this aspect. Do you think anybody on either side of the issue is going to change their mind. Are there people out there that are still what I would describe as persuadable or are pretty people's attitudes pretty much set in stone? I kind of think they're pretty much set in stone. There might be that one persuadable person somewhere, but that's, that's kind of like finding the unicorn. Are there unicorns out there? Will this process, will the hearings, we're going to have televised hearings all week this week, and then you're going to have more inquiries and stuff. Is that going to change anybody's mind? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For better or worse, I don't care if you're a Trump supporter or a Trump hater, I, I just, I don't think that anybody's going to change their position in the American public. I think it's just kind of baked in. And to that extent, I I think people are waiting for November when they're going to have the ultimate up or down verdict on President Trump. 414-799-1620. Will these hearings change anybody's opinion? The polls, at least thus far, seem to say no. But polls could be wrong. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. New poll out suggests that that the, the number on the impeachment question: Should President Trump be impeached? Should he be removed from office? They're, they're, they're locked in. There, there's been almost no movement over the course of the last several months. My theory is that is not going to change. That the the people that want to see President Trump impeached and or removed from office, nothing. There's nothing you can tell them that's going to get them to change their mind. Similarly, the people on the other side, they're they're in the same boat, which, again, then raises the question about is this just overall, is this just a show? Is it an exercise in futility or is this just kind of a a political theater that we're going to see play out next November? Let's start with George in Milwaukee. George, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Is this going to change anybody's mind? Um, I run a Facebook group and Twitter group called Blue Wave Revolutionary Wolfpack. Okay. And <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I, I, it's at some point in time. I, I you know, I'm sorry. I was going to ask you where does that name come from, but don't. I don't need to know. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, you've got you've got the Blue Wave Revolutionary Wolfpack. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, and I over the last 
30 days or so, I've had 10 new members on Facebook and about 200 in my Twitter version uh, that say that ever since this whole Ukraine thing and the impeachment hearings began, um, that, you know, hey, I'm an ex-Republican now, I'm ex-GOP, you know, I voted for Trump, it was the worst decision, you know, on and on. And uh-huh. In every way possible saying I've changed my mind. Um, some are farmers that have had to file bankruptcy because of some of whatever has been going on in, in the uh, tariffs and et cetera. And, you know, it's just a culmination of things. It, it, it seems to be a, a slowly building, you know, hey, I'm, you know, I'm ex-GOP and right. et cetera, et cetera. So, well, I guess, and, and here's what I would say to you, George. I... See, I, I see two questions. One is the impeachment question, and the other is the, the reelect question. And, and I, I understand. I mean, I, I'm sure that there are some people who voted for President Trump in 2016 as what was the phrase they always used? A binary choice as a superior alternative to Hillary Clinton. Okay, well th- that dynamic is gone. So I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there are people who have, you know, who, who might not do the same thing. Again, a lot of the groups that you're talking about. I guess I'm just not sure that the people who, on the question of impeachment, I, I just think people have pretty much made up their minds one way or the other, which is why I keep thinking ultimately it's next November that the verdict gets rendered. Yeah, and, and I would agree. It's ultimately going to come down uh, to 2020. Right. There, there's no doubt about that. Right. Um, it's just the more people, you know, back away from Trump and say, you know what, this has got to change. I, I You know, I, I think if he continues to attack the witnesses and do the, all this other stuff, yeah. you know, whether you, you, would, you know, I, right. I, that's going to hurt him. I, well, I, I think I think some of the tweets, like the one last week going after the the ex ambassador while she's testifying, it was kind of like he. I, I I mean, I would I would have taken away his phone. Okay, so who does Blue Wave Revolutionary Wolfpack think the Democrats are going to nominate? Which I actually think is one of the keys to next November's election. Um, you, you know, I I'm one of those people. It's just like let the process play out. Mm-hmm. I know who I like. Um, but as an admin of the group, it. uh, it's not my place to try and steer people. Fair enough. Who do you like? Um, okay. Who do you like? Who do I personally like? Yeah. Um, I, I would say it's, it's kind of a, to be fair, and I don't think either of them are going to make it, but, uh, either Pete Buttigieg uh-huh. or, uh, Amy Klobuchar. Got it. Well, no, th- um, thanks for calling. I mean, I know thanks for calling. You're actually... You know, you're talking about center-left Democrats who, again, I've kind of explained this dynamic, and and maybe I'm completely wrong. I I did not see, and I always have to give this disclaimer, I did not see President Trump winning the elections. People like to remind me, so who knows? But I I, I do think if if the Democrats nominate a center-left candidate, it's a much different race. Then the race becomes a referendum on President Trump. Versus if the Democrats nominate a a Bernie Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren, kind of a way far out there lefty, then the election becomes, does America, you know, really want to revamp the country in that fashion? Much different dynamic. Uh, Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're on WTMJ. 
Hiya, Jeff. I don't think it's going to change anybody's mind on an impeachment, but it is going to change people's minds on the 2020 election. That's Mm -hmm. what I would say. It's like eating a piece of garlic. It might be good for you, but it doesn't taste all that good. (laughs) It's just uh, every day there's a new tweet, every day there's a new story, and every day there's... It's just becoming... It, you can't handle it anymore. Right. So you don't think he's going to be removed from office, but you, again, it this it's making the re-election effort tougher. It's really going to make it tough. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, you you know, you saw, you know, the, these elections last week. Uh, the the the, uh, the Louisiana governor and President Trump went down there and campaigned for the guy who was running, and uh, he ended up losing. Campaigned for the Kentucky governor, and the guy ended up losing. So. Um, you, you do kind of wonder what this means for President Trump and, and what this means for Republicans who are running in 2020. I agree 100%. I, I just think that we're going to have to get back to some sort of normality in this country. It's just every day it's there's something new. It, it is the, it, it almost makes you long for the no-drama Obama years, huh? It really does. It really does. I do kind of understand that. Again, I, I, I think... I'm so glad that I'm going to be, you know, here to to talk about it with you because th- th- it's going to be such an interesting election. Like I say, I think the 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 support and the opposition to President Trump is all kind of baked in. I I, I just believe that. And the the fundamental question to me is going to be, you know, who is his opponent and what is the dynamic of the election going to be? And I mean, I've I've already said this. I think if the Democrats nominate an Elizabeth Warren or a Bernie Sanders, there's a very good chance that Donald Trump is reelected. Oh, how can you say that? Well, I, I, I just even a number of my very liberal friends just you know, will, will, would they vote for Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders? Yes, but they recognize that they're way out of the mainstream and they're not, they're not coming back. Nominated Joe Biden or somebody like that, different dynamic. Bottom line is, though, all this stuff that's going on TV, it, it doesn't appear to be moving the needle one way or the other, at least when it comes to the issue of impeachment election and maybe at the end of the day because impeachment is a political act so maybe that's what this really all is at the end of the day it's political theater leading up to the election next year this is jeff wagner